1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more and to, you know, subscribe. And while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Gonna break! Bad rum! Bad rum! You guys wanna go see a dead body? Well, sometimes, that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. We are here to have a, a, a bit of a themed conversation today. Uh, it has to do with technology. Uh, it has to do with AI, and mm. it has to do with a little Stephen King movie by the name of Cell, based on uh, the, the King novel of the same name. This movie mm. uh, came out in 2016. It is, uh, for my money, one of the uh, least successful Stephen King adaptations, which is uh, not a, a unique uh, position to hold. This this movie has an 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. More importantly, the cell has sort of an anti-tech streak to it that uh, I do think is very interesting. And um, we wanted to combine that with, you know, maybe some other questions we have about some other things that are going on these days, like uh, the whole AI problem and and all of that. Uh, to do that, we have brought in a former guest of ours, Mr. Rob Sheridan. Rob, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. Rob is the former art director uh, for Nine Inch Nails. Uh, the creator of the former Vertigo comic, High Level, um, one of my friends, and uh, also uh, has has sort of taken you've you've taken to the um, the AI artwork stuff in a way that a lot of other artists haven't. And in the brief conversations that you and I have had about this, um, I've found that uh, you have a, a really unique take on it, and I think a refreshing one. So I, I, if we were going to have this conversation, I thought you would be the guy to have it with. So uh, that's what we're doing today. All right. So first of all, you run a store called uh, an online store called Glitch Goods, where you've been. I mean, you've been churning out some really great stuff over the last few years. I own a few articles of your uh, not of your clothing, but the stuff you've produced. And you have also been making a name for yourself. Uh, in the last year or so, tricking uh, Republicans and per- <laughs> perhaps Twitter blue accounts into thinking that some of your some of your AI artwork is is real. Um, yeah, we did a we did a satanic fashion show that uh, that kind of went a little bit out of control and on the Facebooks. <laughs> yeah, can you for the, for people that didn't see this, can you describe what it is that you did? Um, yeah, I've, I've been. Uh, I've taken to um, using AI imaging tools over the past year in various exploratory ways, but mostly uh, being fascinated by 
the the kind of horror of, of how AI interprets things and and really playing into the the kind of nightmare fuel that it can produce. Um, so that that's led to a, a quite a bit of horror art that I've really enjoyed making that, that exploits AI for for its weaknesses and turns them into strengths. And mm-hmm. um, one of them was a uh, I I, I kind of do them around. Uh, cultural themes or, or, you know, or things that are happening, um, as just a way to stay creative online. And, and, uh, like just today I did a, a Barbenheimer one with, um, um, you know, uh, Barbie models melting in a, a nuclear inferno. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so this was around uh, New York fashion week and I did this, um, set of a kind of like a satanic body horror fashion show that was like models walking down the runway, but all just like contorted into horrific satanic gore. And it was, it was actually really cool looking or the kind of trick I used to, to make the images where they, they actually kind of styled the clothing out of the gore of the body. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was really, it really it's like Hellraiser shit. Yeah, it, it it's like hell, high fashion high fashion Hellraiser, um, and I always kind of write a little narrative to go with it because it's it's kind of part of the exercise um, of making AI something that can be creative for humans is is I use it um, as a kind of narrative visual thing. So I wrote about how this was uh, this Satan's first fashion show at, as a fashion designer at New York Fashion <laughs> Week, and uh, there there was some quotes from Satan in there talking about his line and, and saying, how, you know, you know, they, the people think Satan, you know, they think about fall, they think about dark clothes, but you know, he really wants to branch out as a designer. It was patently ridiculous, you know, just right. com- completely ridiculous. Um, it so- wouldn't even like, if you looking at those photos, it wouldn't even have been like physically possible for them to, for, for them to be real. Do you know what I mean? Like there are people like half their faces missing and, you know, just blood running down the front. Like clearly that was not actual people on a fucking runway. Well, you'd think so. And then you got to (laughs) remember that the contingent of people who think that Hollywood is full of actual demons from hell taking over Earth um, by way of. I don't know the woke mind virus or fashion week. This week. Yeah. So, so, uh, once it fell, you know, out of context, cause you know, whoever is trying to rile up people, um, uh, of a certain political persuasion for money, which is a lot of them, uh, will take these things, remove the context from them and post them like, this is what is happening in Hollywood or whatever. You know, this is fashion week. The demons are here among us. This is who they are. <laughs> and then a bunch of people, a, a class of people that I, I, I guess I technically knew existed, but had never really dealt with them who actually will look at this for one half of one second, believe it is literal photos of demons and just repost it. Uh, they all started <laughs> passing it around Facebook to the point where, uh, Reuters and the Associated Press separately had to contact me for um, fact checking <laughs> to confirm that uh, Satan did not have a uh, a fashion show at New York Fashion Week, and that these were in fact digital art images, which is the funniest thing I've ever been contacted by the press about. I think, 
until until the next thing I do. But funny to me because I I don't go into this trying to trick. If I was trying to trick people, it'd be very easy, and and I'd probably be <laughs> making so. a lot more money. Um, but no, I just, <laughs> I, I just I just don't like stamp it with this is fake. You know, I'm not going to insult my audience w- with that because it's obviously fake. Um, so right. this stuff just happened on its own, um, and it's it's kind of a just a fun little byproduct that. Uh, if you make certain types of things, certain types of people are going to just find a way to believe it, no matter how, right. <laughs> no matter how ludicrously you present it. Yeah, it's interesting because almost uh, all my artist friends or designer friends, their their reaction to AI is like, "Fuck this thing, burn it in a in a fire. Mm-hmm. It's not real. Fuck this." Uh, and you're you know you're <laughs> embracing it, but embracing it for all the reasons why like they hate it. You know what I mean? Because it's like, oh, this isn't real. It's not authentic. It's not whatever. But you're like, that's what's fascinating about it, right? It's like let's find those things and and highlight just how not real these things are, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, if you're a certain type of artist who your your whole craft is how well you render things and, and paint things. Um, right. I can see how you would be, you know, offended at this computer trying, um, you know, to varying degrees of success to, to replicate that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. for, for me, I, you know, I've always been very confrontational with technology. That's something we, we did a lot during my time with Nine Inch Nails. Um, so, uh, you know, I like seeing how machines break things. I mean, I, I like incorporating right. that into my work as a glitch artist. So right. I was immediately fascinated by how this this broken computer brain warped and contorted <laughs> all of this. How many fingers are you thinking humans have? <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I have a. I did a great set with with fingers. It was like trying to get them, trying to get these like kind of like pin-up fashion models to have as many fingers going as many different directions <laughs> as I possibly could. And that, that was a lot of fun. But, um, but you know, I think what, what's gotten lost from people being, you know, mad about these certain things that it can do, you know, like emulate the styles of other artists, which is not interesting to me. And I don't, I don't think is, it's good. Um, but what, what gets lost in there is there's a, there's a really, really fun infinite rabbit hole emerging of just these bizarre depths of, of like walking through a phantasmagoria of, of computer brains, misinterpretations of, uh, of hundreds of years of visual culture. And, and you can find all kinds of strange rabbit holes in there that are, they're getting deeper and deeper uh, as you go. But you know, that, that's something that is rewarded by being interested enough in, and in how weird this stuff is to, explore it for god god forsaken number of hours over the past <laughs> like i have um so you know i've found a ton of inspiration in it and and a way to make it my own and a way to make it um you know something that i that i craft in my own way and, and make it mine and and i think i get a lot of comments from people saying this is the only good ai you're the only one doing it right right or whatever and and i don't i don't know if I agree with you know that kind of binary kind of reductionist view of it all. I think it's actually a very very complicated subject, and where it's headed is going to be more of a tool used by artists in the end. I think this thing where you type a sentence and get a picture is is the very like beta test simple version that came out the little toy, mm. um, but it's not. That's not how you can actually 
use it for production purposes. So I think right. it's it's going to change a lot, and it's going to end up back in the hands of of skilled artists, you know, who, who are able to utilize this as a tool to create the compositions they want. Um, but only if artists, you know, kind of get more involved in where things are headed, because I, I, I've just never found that, you know, putting your head in the sand as things change it works out very well. Um, right. You don't have to like something to understand it and, and figure out how it can work for you, you know? I think the issue that a lot of people have with it, and I, I would tend to agree with this, is that, I mean, it's all speculative, right? Because mm-hmm. you're right. As it is right now, it's not really in a position, I don't think, where, I don't know, I was going to say it could take, where it's taking jobs from people. But then again, they just used it in the fucking opening credit sequence for a Disney Plus series, you know. And, you know, people lost their minds over that. Um, in that event, I would say, well, yeah, a traditional artist was not hired here. Somebody else was. And also it looks like shit. So what are we doing here? You know, I don't I don't know that it's at the point where it's like a thing to really be worried about. And I also agree with you that ultimately it will likely probably be a tool for actual artists rather than a thing. Some like jerk off, you know, living in a one bedroom apartment somewhere who's never drawn anything in his life can suddenly uh, harness the power of fucking however many artists are being fed through the, the machinery. But. Yeah, I mean it. It's complicated. It's it. That's and that that's my main issue with the, with the uh, online discourse about it is it tends to be very binary, and this is actually a very complex issue. And there's a lot of gray areas, and there's a lot of cases where this can actually be really beneficial to some people. Um, and there's a ton of cases where it can be used very terribly and exploitatively, and and be used to pay artists less or, or, or not hire them at all. Um, you know, like the, like the Marvel thing is like, I, I saw everyone getting, getting mad about that. And on one hand, it's like, you know, you could justify it by saying that the way that AI motion, AI animation looks is a very right now aesthetic. It's an extremely liminal thing. And you see it and you're like, Oh, that's like that. That's AI. And they kind of obviously wanted to channel that, I think, for the, you know, for the um, theme of the show. And that involved hiring a creative studio that, you know, I think the idea that there would have necessarily been traditional artists hired probably isn't even the case. Because usually those intros are made by production studios with computer graphics and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, they, they may have wanted to speak to a specific aesthetic. But, you know, that, you know, the fact that the results aren't very good and, (laughs) and, and that it happens at a moment when it's like, you know, the stuff they're doing with it is obviously riffing on hand-drawn illustrations. And I don't think it's great messaging right now when you're a comic book, you know, adjacent studio. So, you know, everything has these kind of like, these kind of rough edges around it right now. And there's a, there's a lot of panic and hype in all directions and and it's a it's a big mess and and i think uh, for me being confrontational with it is is how i have worked through all these kind of technological leaps in the past that's that's kind of my style and uh and also accepting certain inevitabilities too you know you can you can be as mad about it as you want um but at the end of the day if it's something that's going to happen no matter what you Mm want to be the one who's better at it 
than whoever you know, <laughs> they're trying to hire instead of an artist, right? And I don't think it's, I don't think it's a you know a coincidence that the only kind of interesting AI art I've seen has tended to be from people with a, a professional art background, you know, that, that mm-hmm. are doing interesting stuff with it. Um, I think it's probably worth pausing to note that anyone can now type a sentence and make a very cool, very pretty image. And yet somehow not everyone's an artist, you know, somehow no one cares, you know? Right. So that's, there's a certain amount of like, you throw a bunch of filler out into the world and, and the, the cream still rises to the top. Um, but then it gets really complicated when, when we enter this world of horrific, grotesque investment capitalism where, you know, these, these giant companies are just trying to do literally anything they can to, to raise shareholder value and nothing else. And God knows mm-hmm. what they're going to do w- as they're eating up this hype, you know? Now, does your, does your outlook on all of this change at all when applied to say the issues the writer's guild is having with. Oh, oh absolutely. Imp- absolutely. I mean, my, so what, my, what's, what, I, I don't what, have a pro me- AI stance in any real way. I've just found, for AI imaging, for visual art specifically, there's a lot of interesting stuff that can be done there. Um, and I don't think, you know, for visual artists, it, it's, it has to be feared uh, as much in, as some think. But when you look at, like, what it can do with writing, first of all, like, AI writing, I, I've tried a bunch of different things with that, and I don't find it interesting at all. I find everything it produces sounds like a like a weird stilted like fifth grade book report or something <laughs> right yeah. um and and the idea that like a that a machine wrote something is like it doesn't hold any interest to me you know because at the end of the day what what makes the the work that i do with ai human is that i apply my own story and my own narrative and my own aesthetics on on top of elements that right. i crafted with the computer right and if you if you have a computer writing a book, that that really takes all the humanity out of it. There's nothing left there, you know. Yeah. Did you guys uh, see the IO9 or, or the Gizmodo or whatever article <laughs> yeah. that uh, like all all of our friends over there and all the reporters essentially put out a statement going, "We don't agree with this. We don't like this. This is something that the the corporate overlords over there." Uh, are testing out and it was a ranking of just a chronological listicle <laughs> of star wars movies uh in right. i guess star wars canon like the main visual star wars canon um and every single one like had the exact same form it's like episode one follows anakin skywalker as he blah 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 and then episode two follows anakin skywalker blah 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 it, it was it was like that episode four luke follows luke skywalker you know it had, yeah. every one of those sounded exactly that and then they still fucked it up and they like said that rebels came out like after rise of skywalker or something like it was like this this crazy thing it's like i don't i i understand why uh, these content farms would want just the listicles out there. I don't understand why they wouldn't take that extra step of just having one person go, uh, you know, just do a quick pass on this to make it not like read like complete dog shit and, and also be well, accurate. They specifically know? did it without the managing editors of those sites. Right. Uh, input, you know, that was, that was also a part of it. Like they didn't, um, you know, they didn't run it by them. 
I think right, the, it just I think appeared, the whole right? point of the, the 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 exercise, and which they've said they're going to continue to do, is that you know they. Um, I, I think they're just overconfident in it, or right. like, well, let's just see what happens. But it's yeah. in, it, but it is incredible that even they, like the people that were overseeing this, didn't take a moment to look it over. <laughs> like, right? Yeah, it seems as though no one did. They just posted immediately, and yeah, that's what's going to happen. Uh, I, I go back and forth on this every day, you know, in 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 how I how I feel, you know, we should approach this stuff because, uh, you know, on one hand, there's this kind of like I I, I believe especially in art and, and, and writing and, and all this stuff, I believe that there's a certain amount of um, the, the, the corporate greed seeing seeing this hype around something and believing that they mm-hmm. can do a lot of things that they can't actually do. Or when they do, uh, a lot of people are not going to like it because it's going to suck, right? But then, you know, you know, then I think, well, the reality is that these blogs are barely even writing for people anymore. They're writing right. for the Google algorithm, you know, yeah. which is the first thing that started to destroy Very true. the internet, you know, and the fact that so much of that has to be tailored to, to SEO and all this stuff means that there are, there's a whole bunch of content out there that on a technical level, if the goal is to just drive clicks and traffic, a robot can write it better because it's writing mm-hmm. four other robots and that sucks in its right. own way. Uh-huh. You know, like, like, it's just another layer of suck that's already on top of all this. And it right. can write it faster. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, and I, I was, I like yeah. one, just the other day I was mocking the, um, the studio executives for like buying into this AI hype, you know, with thinking that they can, do a lot more with AI in terms of movie making than is currently possible or may ever be possible. Um, and, you know, that's kind of what a lot of this hype is about, including all the fears, is that the people who are invested in this AI technology, like, blow this stuff up, like, you know, kind of like crypto, and get everyone really excited about it, make a bunch of money, and then jump out before the bubble bursts, right? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so so I was making fun of that kind of gullibility of like we don't need humans anymore, we don't need writers, we don't need artists, um, and and you know I wish the livelihoods of of um, my fellow writers and artists weren't at stake with this strike, and they could just wait it out long enough to let let us watch the TV shows that are going to be <laughs> right. conceived by executives and and produced by robots, you know, because I'd love to see what a mess that would be. But then, you know, yesterday I see there's some new company that did this demo where they made an entire episode of South Park. I saw yeah. that shit. You know, so the entire thing, every aspect of it was made with AI. And of course, people watch it and, and, and are making fun of it online. You know, it's, it's stiff, it's not funny, it's whatever. But... Uh, you know, I have to keep thinking back to all the jokes about fingers and very quietly the fingers have gotten almost perfect now. They're not, it's not the latest AI imaging is not, Mm -hmm. I can't can't get my horror fingers anymore. I have to use the older (laughs) systems to get my horror fingers back. The it's, it's worth looking at how much the tech has changed just in the imaging department in one year, because it is astonishing. And so one thing I don't think is helpful is to make fun of the quality of what's being put out like that South Park thing, because that wasn't even remotely possible six months ago. Mm-hmm. So they're gonna, the quality is going to get better. 
And then I think, okay, well, even if it's good, who the hell wants to watch a show written by a robot? And then I think about all the people out there, all the people way beyond our little world of appreciating art and culture and, and, <laughs> and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And when they turn on the TV, do you think they've ever thought fucking once about who wrote a TV show? Episode? <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> you know, and all That's the shows that we watch, the, the, the shows that we find repulsive, do you think they're going to notice if the jokes are, are, are you know are recycled by a computer <laughs> i don't know right. i don't know i i, I wonder yeah. sometimes if like there's enough of an audience for shit out there that yeah. when this technology gets good enough that they could actually pull this off and then it's all like right. okay well maybe what we should all be fighting for is universal basic income because you know if you can't even, <laughs> you can't even go get a job working at the grocery store because they've got robots doing that too at a certain yeah. point this is going to affect all of us and maybe you should just pay us to sit at home while you guys make move your money around you know right. like let, let let the fucking computers make bullshit sitcoms and let us make art you know like yeah but Either we're all going to end up in the street or we're going to have to tear this whole system down. I don't know. I I absolutely hear what you're saying in terms of there not being much value in mocking the, you know, the the primordial ooze era of of this particular technology. That doesn't mean it's not fun. Yeah. I I just caution people against thinking it's a defense, uh, you know. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um where I've kind of landed on the whole thing is I just and and specifically I'm talking about the artwork here. I think the I think the the writing thing is its own can of worms. But mm-hmm. you know, just just to speak to what you're doing, I I, I think I feel uneasy about it. And mm-hmm. here's here's why because I love the stuff you've been doing with it. And whenever I see these clips of like, you know, it's AI audio of like say Trump and Biden and fucking i don't know obama playing like overwatch together (laughs) that shit is hysterically funny like i'm 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 sorry it just is like hearing trump say like fucking skill issue you know (laughs) it's it's just fucking hilarious it just is um and so it's like some of it i've really enjoyed and i'm like this is great but also i know how the fucking world works and i've certainly you know paid attention to how things have unfolded over, over the last say decade and we are all too willing to believe um, everything that's put in front of us. And I think it's it's like it's all fun and games right now. But sooner or later, there's going to be, you know, it's going to be used on the political stage to a yeah. serious degree and create like a serious fucking problem. And yeah. and a, a, a thing like that could have legit results that result in you know, like, yeah. like people could get hurt. You know, oh, yeah. and so so I'm like I'm really conflicted on it. Like I love the shenanigans that are going on, but also I'm like just a fucking matter of time before someone, yeah. oh, you yeah. know, and, before and all, all the face with a half a baby leg sticking out of her mouth, and then we got to hear about that for two years. Yeah, it's and, the same I, people that shared all of Rob's, you know, zombie exactly. Met Gala stuff. Yeah, but we'll, but think, I, you we'll know, see I, it as real at first blush. Yeah, I have that. I have that same fear, and then I remember some of the things I saw uh, during the Trump election that were being passed around. And it was like this, you know, this massive meme of Trump rescuing someone from a flood uh, (laughs) somewhere. And he's, he's walking through the floodwaters waist high carrying a baby or some, or some shit. And it's the most, it's the most obviously fake worst Photoshop job I've ever seen. And it's got like 3 million likes or some shit like that. And people are cheering on. And, and you just have to wonder if, like, 
how much worse is the, you know, is the fakery, if the fakery is a little bit better, how much worse can that even make anything in a post-truth world? Like, it's substantially worse. No matter what. And we already have the ability to Photoshop anything. This just makes it easier. So, you know, now that you can fake videos and all this stuff, I don't know if it's, I don't know if the people who are convinced by that even need it to be that much better. Well, just you know? as a, just, <laughs> just as a for instance, imagine if somebody with less limited means than the average jerk off on the internet, right? Like someone who had the money and a team and could like spend some time on this shit were to like produce a video that I don't know what the content of that video would be, but let's say for the sake of discussion, um, it was widely shared um, and somehow appeared that let's say the Ukraine is going to, you know, launch uh, some sort of horrific attack against uh, uh, Russia, therefore giving them the, you know, the go ahead to just start dropping nukes. You know, I think that would be substantially worse than than anything else. Like, that's an extreme Mm. example. But given the stupid, stupid world we live in, and also given the fact that Russia, it seems like they're just like, itching for a fucking reason um i don't think it's outside the realm of possibility and that shit really fucking scares me you know it's certainly not uh, it's not even close to outside the realm (laughs) it's very possible it's just a matter of it's just a matter of you know what what protections are, are we missing already i think in in how we disseminate and and discuss and interpret information and our media literacy is to me, really, the, the core kind of underlying problem that should mm-hmm. be exposed by all this, because you you know you're gonna trying to stop the technology is gonna be an endless game of whack a mole, and there's always you know that's why I, I try to tell people you know like when we talk about like when they talk about AI and when I talk about AI art, like you said about writing, is totally different beast. It's not a monolith. It's not even AI. It's just it's it's automated algorithms. And, and every case of it is kind of different. There's different strains of the technology. And if it's not AI, if you were to ban the current way of doing things with AI, there will be something else. You know, everything is moving so fast right now that I don't know how to stop any of this unless we're, we're willing to see what kind of structural things it's shining a light on and take care of those so that we're more mm. fundamentally protected from, from this kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, we had a recent situation um, where we got that kind of opportunity to look at all the flaws in a system. Uh, we had this thing called the pandemic and it was great because that <laughs> happened. And then everyone said, okay, wait, we were doing a bunch of stuff wrong here. Let's all pause and let's fix it all. Let's, let's fix <laughs> our, our system. And everything's so much better now. We're totally ready for the next pandemic. So I think it'll be the same with AI. I think it'll be the same with global warming. I think we're in great shape. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my unease with uh, technology is perhaps mirrored in the, the, uh, the movie that we're here to talk about today and the, the Stephen King story, Cell. Uh, um, for, for anyone who has not uh, read Cell or watched Cell, and I know you didn't read it, Rob. I know you just watched the movie. Um, would, you be, would you be willing to lay out the, uh, the general plot of this movie? What, what is it about? Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually I'm kind of glad that I hadn't read the book because I, I have the unique experience of trying to figure out what the hell the movie was trying to convey mm-hmm. at certain yeah. points, uh, which felt very um, that, that kind of made it a little bit fun for me because I wasn't comparing it against anything. And there were 
there were points where it clearly was leaving a lot out, <laughs> which I'll be interested to hear about. Uh, but as best as I can, uh, I don't know about as that. As best as I can understand, there's all of a sudden a uh, a cell phone signal that turns everyone into some type of zombie type creature that it sometimes is a lot like a zombie and other times is not more of like an automaton or some kind of thing, but it's broadcasting a network that's starting to network all these zombified sort of people together. And um, you have a little band of survivors who's trying to navigate this and, and figure it out. And, and John Cusack, he's just trying to get home to his family, damn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's there's actually some really interesting stuff that happens in here, and I think everything that I liked about the movie, I could I could probably safely credit to the story being good. You know, the 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 um, source material, but I think that's I mean, that's the basics of how the story starts. Yeah, that's mm. that's that's correct. Um, Vespi, what do you, what are your what are your thoughts on Cell the Ooh, the okay. movie the book <laughs> like just in uh, general. I when the book came out, I remember going, okay, you know, I'm. I was still in the the stage where I was like, you know, as I am now. I'm every time there's a new Stephen King, I read it. That's just what I do. And I, uh, I bought it and I was reading it, and it opens up so fucking cool. And you're like, oh mm-hmm. my god, he's finally doing like a real zombie story thing. The uh, the cell phone business was. Uh, uh, you know, it was it was kind of fun and like it felt fresh at the time, and and uh, it's like okay, this is really interesting. Uh, and then it like proceeds to spin its wheels for two thirds of, of its book and gets weirder and less like I don't know. It it missed kind of that thing that I really like about um a lot of civilization is falling stories where you get that little bit of post apocalyptic wish fulfillment. You get that feeling in the stand a lot, but uh, but here is just like it just didn't seem very fun you know to to follow along with so even the book i was like i have some issues with it and then the movie came out and it was just it it is it's just it's bad on a uh, on a molecular level you know it's like there's just something about how it all came together that feels so cynical and everybody's disinterested and not alive and like would rather be somewhere else it feels like throughout the entire fucking thing nothing comes together there are no big set pieces that that you remember it's like i don't know it it could there be a really great adaptation of of cell that fixes some of the book's problems i think i think possibly um but you would have to do like a lot of radical departures i think and make it a little bit more of a straight up survival thing you know right right i'm usually a sucker for stories where like the world is ending you know yeah. I'm I'm a particular fan of post-apocalyptic stories where the world has already ended and it's just like, you know, suddenly everyone's got all the space they need to move around and just be quiet and sit and live <laughs> off the land or maybe, you know, fucking ride dune buggies covered in spikes all over the place if you happen to be caught in the in the Mad Max post-apocalypse. <laughs> but right. this thing is just I was I was surprised. Um revisiting we did a commentary for this one which is on our our patreon uh very festive commentary as you might imagine um and maybe i knew this and i had forgotten it but uh king co-wrote the script on this one and uh i was surprised to learn that um because it doesn't feel like uh 
I don't know. The whole thing has this scattershot feel to it where right. I have a, this. This happened with one of the recent Children of the Corn movies we had to watch where yeah. it, it just like bounces off of me. Like I rewatched it this morning. I watched it. We were supposed to record this episode a few days ago. I rewatched it that morning, too. And I rewatched it the night before that. And when I say I rewatched it, I mean, I turned it on. And within like 30 seconds, I'm fucking around on my phone because mm-hmm. I just it's just not holding my attention. And then if you do stop and try to pay attention to it, it's uh, it, it it all feels very unclear and kind of messy. And for that reason, I'm surprised. I was surprised to relearn or learn that uh, King and co-written this co-written the script for this because it just mm. it it feels like hacked to pieces. And maybe that's a result of the editing or the filmmaking. I think that's what I was feeling when I felt like I was missing stuff that must be in the book or something. Cause there would just be things that, yeah, scatter shots, a good way to describe it. It, it felt like little stunts and starts and, and, and bits of disconnected pieces that, that never, never allowed you to feel anything, you know? Right. right. And this now is he, King. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to throw in there that um, I looked up Adam Maleka is the, uh, mm-hmm. other credited screenwriter and um and adam wrote last house on the left the 2009 one and mm-hmm. stephen king loves that fucking uh movie by the way in, in like the updated dance macabre like he talks about how fucking good that movie is and how much better really? it is in west craven's movie yeah um huh. and but i was kind of looking at that because the way that king writes he, he's not co-writing a script in the way that traditionally you go, oh, you see multiple, you know, writers, maybe they're a writing team or whatever. It's like, no, he did a draft and then Adam Maleka did a draft or or vice versa. Adam Maleka did a drive, draft and then Stephen King did a polish or something. I'm kind of inclined to believe that that King probably wrote a script that was very much like his book. And then Adam Maleka uh, came in and, uh, you know, and then like, tried to go, okay, well, we got to pull it a little bit closer into a, a movie uh, format. That would be my guess, like without having done any research or looked into anything like that. Uh, because King as a screenwriter, like a lot of his stuff, cause he, he wrote shit, you know, he wrote a draft of the shining and he wrote a draft of, you know, a bunch of his stuff and nine times out of 10, they end up throwing Stephen King's draft away um, when, uh, when he's, he's writing it and then like starting from scratch. Um, not to say that he's a bad screenwriter, you know, I don't know. I think all, all this blathering is just to say that um, it, this, this has all the, the uh, benchmarks of, of a production where the, you know, with the multiple producers listed with the multiple writers with, you know, kind of a, a, a director that's not like a big name director that's, you know, in there and has, some power to, to swing around you know it like it has all the hallmarks of uh, uh of a movie that would get shelved for years like this one did and and uh you know just be thankful that they actually made something that is quasi coherent and, and has a, a beginning middle and end you know <laughs> so rob how do you feel you would how would you navigate this particular apocalypse mm. you're in that airport you have your little beanie and your vape pen just like john cusack in the movie which by the way this is a funny thing like i um i was looking i was trying i was desperately trying to find anything about the production about the of this movie online today while i was watching it and came uh, came across a uh like a like a behind the scenes sort of making of like featurette that was on youtube Mm. and uh 
it's like the first time Cusack appears on screen, like sitting in a director's chair, like being interviewed on set. He's just waving that fucking vape pen around maniacally. Like he did not. I don't think John Cusack was more than two feet away from that vape pen during the entirety of this production. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Rob, how do you think you would uh, how, how would you deal with this? It it shows. I think he was a little checked out. I think, <laughs> but um, it's, the whole movie feels like it was made under duress. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It does. It, I, it 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 feels like a thing where Cusack and Samuel Jackson probably signed on at some point, and we're like, we're in, yes. And then it took him a minute to get it going, and by the time that happened, like a lot of terrible shit had gone on, and now they've still got to make the movie. They're contractually obligated, and you know we're completely checked out through the entire thing. Yeah, yeah. I um, well, I mean, I think uh, some of the decisions that uh, that uh, were made at the beginning in the apocalypse, I think I can sign on to. We were, my wife and I were watching this, and like in that opening scene, we just kept seeing little things. Where we're like, is 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 he is he supposed to be a, like kind of goth? <laughs> and then and then there was this brief moment. Did he just check a tarantula through? through airport security <laughs> and he, he did he had this he had a ball with a spider in it and, it, and it, for like but it was it wasn't acknowledged or mentioned or anything it was just like a, an accessory <laughs> he had and then they got to his apartment later and it's like oh my god he is he's supposed to be like a goth comic book artist guy <laughs> so um you know i think i think traveling to the airport um <laughs> with my phone on on no batteries and holding my my trusty tarantula ball i think <laughs> is very relatable for me and um i think he 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 did the right thing getting out of there but um a lot of there was a lot of um kind of just ex- acceptance of this is this is happening and this is what's going on and now we need to get out of here and go do this thing like Samuel Jackson's character showed up and he, he seemed to know everything at first. <laughs> right. uh, and, and there was a lot of like um, improv class zombie action going on everywhere. But the, the, <laughs> the rules of how much zombies they were, wasn't quite clear. Like sometimes they were eating people and other times they seemed to not be interested in that. And sometimes they were smart. Sometimes they weren't. Um, so, you know, I, I think I would have died in the airport because I would have been, trying to figure out their rules the whole time and, and <laughs> credit credit to this guy for just for just getting out of there you know do you think this would ha- this would be your fate in in most po- up, uh, or most apocalyptic ser- scenarios or do you think you would or are there versions of it where you would live where you would I, thrive i think if 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 there was some form of like an apocalypse where i didn't have to be particularly athletic but i could be kind of clever <laughs> you know <laughs> if there was if i could like if i could like make 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 shitty jokes or something to get out of the, the apocalypse and not like have right. to do a lot of fighting i think <laughs> would maybe i'm not sure how that works i don't really workshop that yet but that's kind of that's and also one where i can use my phone i think that yeah. would be that'd be yeah helpful. this i would have been dead right away because i would have been, I would have been on my phone you know this yeah. This guy was a. He reminded me of like uh, I could hear my my boomer mom in the back of banks. Hey, you can't just always be on your phone. You got to talk to people sometimes. <laughs> there was a little bit of that <laughs> ringing in my head. Of uh, he survived because he wasn't on his phone. Yeah. 
that that's something uh, I'm particularly fucked in this situation because I rely on my phone for everything. Yeah, like for sure. like I've forgotten how to fucking get around my own fucking city without like I I I'm I'm pl- to avoid traffic mostly, but I still uh, plug in GPS coordinates to go to places I've been to a million times. You know, it's like. Uh, when I have a problem around the house, I go to YouTube and I go, how do I fix this? You know, it's like I'm, right. I'm, I am so dependent on technology that this particular uh, style of apocalypse is, is fucked because I, I, I've i always thought that like a really cool, um, you know, how in a lot of a post apocalyptic movies, there's the journey, whether it's like the book of Eli, where I have to take this book here or, or last of us, we have to get this girl from one end of the country to the other, or the stand, we have to travel to mother Abigail or, or, uh, or, uh, Randall flag. It's like, there's always a journey in those things. And I always thought a really cool, uh, idea for, uh, like a, a zombie story would be going and finding the YouTube, uh, servers. And like, <laughs> because be, and that, that they hold the secrets of, you know, cause you, there's, you know, how do I fucking grow my own, own plants? You know, that shit's on there. So if we lose the power, but all that stuff is stored on, on servers, like go find the YouTube servers. And, you know, somehow get that stuff. I always thought that would be fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, in this particular uh, apocalypse, I am I am so I'm doubly fucked. I'm uh, you know, I'm so so fucked without the tech. I don't know anything uh, by myself. That's not just like fucking random Stephen King and maybe Steven Spielberg trivia knowledge for you. You know, <laughs> the, hey, you know, it's it's like, like, it, like yeah. I said, you never know what kind of apocalypse. Maybe there's one for us. Maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope so. <laughs> I will be the one on the quest to find the YouTube servers and, and uh, I will fall uh, along the way, I'm sure. Yeah. And this is a particularly scary apocalypse. Like I, you know, I've, I've said this on the show before, but if there's an apocalypse, I want to die immediately. Right. Oh, like yeah. I don't want to deal with the fact. Just let's wrap it up. I'll, I'll go first wave. <laughs> I'll volunteer for that shit. Like tell me when the comet's arriving and I will stand directly underneath where it's supposed to land. Right. Or the asteroid or whatever the fuck. <clears throat> this one though, you know, airports are already an uncomfortable place to be. I don't like being mm. in an airport. It's it, every fucking time you're uh, somehow I'm always sweaty in an airport, even <laughs> if it's not hot. <laughs> and like, there's this like sense of, am I going to, am I going to miss my flight? Am I going to like, like I've missed a flight before. Um, and so now I have that fear hanging over me for the rest of my life. And I've also <laughs> been in a situation where I was in, at an airport once. And like, I got there crazy fucking early. For some reason, uh, it might have been like a junket and I just got like dumped at the airport on my way back home or whatever hours early, but was like sitting at a gate, the gate that I'm supposed to be at. Uh, and somewhere along the line, I like got up and went and took a piss and came back and sat back down at the gate. And during that time, they changed the gate to the other side of the airport somehow. And so I was just sitting there fucking around on my phone for like another 40 minutes. And then I was like, shouldn't they be boarding by now? And like went up and asked somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, we moved that. That's that's boarding right now on the other side of the airport. And I had to like run my oh. fucking chubby ass through this airport. <laughs> it was the most humiliating thing that oh, has man. ever fucking happened to me. Like just and then like arriving at the plane, like all out of breath and like, uh, uh, you know, awful, awful shit. I don't like being in an airport. You add to that people going like 28 days later in there, you know, and like mm. picking they're not just like zombies where they'll like grab you and eat you. They're using like instruments and shit on, you know, the, the there's that cook picks up a fucking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what well, looks like a machete. 
um, or a meat cleaver or something, and it just starts hacking motherfuckers. Like, no, I would die yeah. instantly in this. Scenario. Okay, yeah, well, that that's I'd that's exactly where that's where I would have died too, because I would have like I would have thought, okay, zombie apocalypse. Okay, I've been training for this my whole life with movies. Okay, run, everyone's crazy, and then I'd see this guy doing some like Joker shit, you know, like walking around <laughs> like laughing, like planning some like fun way to to gouge someone's eyeballs out and be like wait what the wait is this guy yeah. smart is he is, is he part of this or and, and then i'd pause to think about that and then i'd, I'd get eaten or whatever or or jokered i don't know but uh yeah that's a that cop opening, like there was a lot going dog. on in that opening scene and and yeah uh, it, that's that's worth dissecting that scene because it's it's not executed particularly well but there's they're having a lot of fun at moments in there with some of the stuff that's going on yeah. I think I'm pretty sure I meant to go back and look, but I think, um, I think he actually like smacked one of the zombies with his tarantula ball. Like it was a, it was a, yeah, yeah. a blunt, a blunt weapon that he used at one point in that opening scene. Well, if you're going to be carrying a tarantula ball around, you got to use it when the, when the cell phone zombies start to rise, you know, I, I know that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. What else are you going to save that shit for? You know? Well, nothing because it never appeared again in the movie. So <laughs> I have to assume that I was right. It was a blunt uh, instrument. <laughs> I thought that was like a snow globe or some shit. Yeah, it was like a present for his for his kid, oh, right. right? It's like a paperweight or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I, had, yeah. I had one of those when I was a kid. That, that uh, it was a little a spider orb. In it. Yeah, yeah a, spider, a spider orb. Yes, I, I did. I had a spider yeah. orb, and I had a. Um, I had I a had couple of their the... bug orbs too. It's a scorpion yeah. orb. Scorpion. Yeah, I had the scorpion one, but. Uh... And I was fascinated by that, yeah. And I'm yeah. now I look at it going, oh, they just fucking murdered a fucking poor scorpion and <laughs> and fucking pull, poured a bunch of fucking clear gel Maybe over it. Just could they're in, in carboniting insects for, for <laughs> entertainment, so so we can keep our papers from flying away. As you do, as God intended. Um, do we do we feel that cell is uh, an anti tech story, or do we feel that? this was just a convenient way into like, how do I get a bunch of motherfuckers all over the world <laughs> to be, become zombies like all at once. What's something that people are always doing. They're on their phones. Yeah. You know, like, do you, do you think that was the thinking or do you think like King is trying to lay out a parable here about the dangers of being too obsessed with our phones? I mean, I think that, you know, a bunch of people walk around like zombies and, you know, thinking about walking through an airport now versus how I imagine it was when I was a kid. I don't remember, um, you know, everyone now staring down at their phones all the time. You know, it's, it's not a stretch to think, you know, you want to make a, a, a zombie analogy if you if you want to comment sure. on sure. that. Um, and there's, there's probably a, a smarter analogy uh, that I don't know if the movie was making, but um you know, about the dangers of everything being networked together all the time. The very, right. the very real dangers of that, um, both, you know, for, you know, for society and, and just like security, you know. Um, but I don't think the movie was really talking about that as, as much. Uh, but I do think it was kind of using this thing as a, as a way to talk about how, how reliant and just kind of lost in our, in our phones we've gotten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also important to underline that this book came out in 2006. This predates the iPhone, iPad. This was like flip phone era, right? This is mm. the Nokia era of, of cell phone usage. Um, well, that, and that makes me wonder, uh, though, damn, if, like, 
And that's why. That makes me wonder if like the book was written maybe more using that as a, as a mechanism. And then upon revisiting it uh, for a later adaptation, it, it also extended into a metaphor. Cause I, I, I don't know that a lot of people were drawing that metaphor with flip phones. You know, I don't, I don't know how addicted anyone was in that era. I mean, I guess I was on, on my Blackberry, but that was, that was cause I was working all the time. It's it's, I mean, I think I've seen interviews with King where he was talking about how people were, uh, you know, obsessed with their phones and connected to their phones. And that was something that intrigued him, you know, for this story specifically, but uh, but yeah, it, it becomes crazy prophetic when you look at it now. And, uh, um, and now the networking stuff, I'm not so sure about how much he was thinking about that side of it versus, oh, this is like, we're going to do play this like ants or, you know, bees or whatever that has, you know, that they all react as a group and, and stuff like that. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit of both, but I think he definitely thought at that time that people were getting too obsessed with their you know, being connected uh, to the world, you know, and to other people at all times versus the good old days where you could just go and drive out into the middle of nowhere and hope to God you knew how to get yourself out or didn't get a flat tire, you know? Yeah. And and I think that's, like, a, I don't know. that's a theme that I don't know. I, I think maybe I would, I didn't see the movie when it came out, but I think I probably would have rolled my eyes at a bit back then. Like, oh, okay. Very curmudgeonly, like, okay, we're all on our phones too much. Yeah. Well, okay. Boomer or whatever, you know, but I, and, and a lot of people might not have tuned into that message as much, but I think, you know, this is something that uh, they could, you know, revisit as a theme now. And I certainly feel it so much more now. I yeah. feel I'm I hate this little thing. I use it all the time. I'm always on this fucking thing. And I, and I've, I've grown to hate it in a lot of ways. You know, I, I hate, I, I rely on being connected all the time. I, I, I love being connected in, in a lot of ways. And, and yet there's just this part of it that's just like, God, I wish I could just disconnect from all this uh, more yeah. often, you know? Yeah. And it, and it really like that really uh, rears its head. If something ever goes wrong with your phone, like, <laughs> like I, like uh, Vespi and I did a, uh, a live event in LA back in December. And while we were there, we were at a bar and I dropped my phone and cracked the screen and it was just like a crack you know running diagonally across the screen wasn't wasn't huge you know it wasn't like my finger was getting caught on the on the crack on the touch screen so i was just like eh, well i guess i'm just gonna live with this now because i didn't want to buy a new phone right mm -hmm. well sometime in the last month you know and however many months later that that crack on my phone had like sort of it had gotten more pronounced I would say. And, uh, uh, there were, it was, it was spreading in, in a little way. And I could tell that like, if I, let's say, um, my hand was remotely damp, you know, like, uh, if I touched the screen, it would fucking go ape shit. And there were like within, this was this week, this happened, I guess like Sunday night or something. Um, I was using the phone, everything was fine. And then the touch screen went fucking haywire like you would click on something and suddenly it would it would somehow open like four apps at once and they'd all be loading and like it would be like if i tried to text anything it would just delete whatever i had just written or be inserting words that i hadn't written it was just a com it was totally fucked right possessed it sounds like he was possessed <laughs> yeah and so i had to like put the phone down that night 
and be like, well, I'm going to have to go to the store in the morning and buy a new phone. So there was maybe like a 12 to 16 hour period where I was purely operating with a laptop in order to like stay in touch with people and what have you. But the sheer panic I felt to not be able to use the phone was it, it was humiliating. Like it's the same thing as if you're like your battery dies and suddenly you, you know, it happens no matter how much you plan for it, that's going to happen to you eventually. And whenever it's happened to me, I have this like intense sense of shame. Like I can't just, I can't just entertain myself. I've got to have this fucking thing in order to, <laughs> to do it. It's just, it's so embarrassing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I, I feel you on that. It's it, my, my phone's been doing a thing where it, um, it, it needs to be cleaned in some way that's beyond my capabilities at home. The, the port is all messed up. So it doesn't, it only charges with one particular cable that it likes in one particular position, uh, which is, plugged into one particular place in my in my uh, studio downstairs and so i have to I, I keep i haven't had a chance to go take it to get like fixed or whatever so i have to take it downstairs and set it in this very precarious position to charge it and then i go do other things and even when i'm doing other things i'm like ah it's so annoying to me that my phone is downstairs for an hour right. you know uh-huh. <laughs> it's like that sucks uh i I, um, my, my wife and I went on a, we got an RV in 2016 and we just took off. We sold our houses and we just drove, um, for a couple of years up and down the coast. And, and, um, it was a time of a lot of, of a lot of change in both our lives. And, and I just, I wasn't like being online was, wasn't interesting to me. I was, it, mm-hmm. I didn't have a thing I was doing there at the time. And I, it made me just kind of anxious to, to, reconnect to all of that so i i just wasn't really online much at all we were just driving around in a lot of places that had no service and and being part of nature and it's like it was great it felt wonderful um it had to end eventually because there was no way to make money or anything you know (laughs) right right i had to all right and i gotta go back into it all now but it, it it really really made me like it really made me reevaluate um, some of those things. And then I, I forgot all those lessons and just now I'm like, <laughs> I all the time, you know, but, uh, but it, it sticks in the back of my head. It's like, how did I, how did I do that? You know? And, and is there a secret to that other than just somehow having infinite amounts of, of money to just, uh, to just go and not have to worry about where it comes from. Yeah. And, and that is what makes me feel insane. When I look at a guy like Elon Musk, that guy does not have to be online all the time. No. <laughs> he doesn't have to ever be online. He doesn't have to be on this planet. And yet, <laughs> and yet here he is just throwing his whole house out on the internet every single day. And for no reason, no reason. That's if I were, if I became a billionaire tomorrow, you'd never hear from me again. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. I can't imagine like staying connected to, to anything really like beyond personal relationships. I can't yeah. imagine like continuing to he's, but he's a fucking Elon's a fucking nerd, you know? And he quite clearly bought Twitter um, thinking it would make him really popular with people, you know? Like I, I, I think that that's the case. I thought he would be, I think he thought that it'd be like, 
yeah, there's a new sheriff in town and it's going to be like, woo, comedy is legal again and we can do whatever we want. And, you know, with no understanding of what he had just bought into for forty four billion dollars, by the way. Like, he, he's he's the he's the villain of every '80s comedy. You know, he's the, he's, <laughs> he's the guy whose dad is it runs the school or owns the ski resort or whatever, and he he sees all the all the cool kids at the cool table who don't want anything to do with them. So he's so he just said, "Oh, you know what? I'm going to buy the cool table." And then all the cool kids are like, "Well, it's not cool here anymore. See ya." Yeah. And now he's just really pissed <laughs> because he's now he's just sitting at a table with only the worst people, which and, and he's still not cool. And and not only him, but all the fucking Elon boot, bootlickers as well. Yeah. All the ones that instantly bought into Twitter Blue because they thought that suddenly would get them an audience with The Rock, and you know, and all yeah, this like, stuff. I'm just like, and I warned people. Like I, I even tweeted out, going like, "Dudes, like, you think you want this, but all they're gonna do is like move somewhere else or not be here. It's like there's a reason why there's all the people you want to interact with on here." Uh, that yeah. won't give you the time of day. You think that they're suddenly going to be like, "Oh, cool, you have a blue check. I like you now." It's like that's not how that shit works. Yeah, yeah just that- an, an astonishing misread of of, of clout and and what like what that kind of thing means. You know, like uh, why that why they felt that that was an important thing that they wanted to be a part of and why it doesn't work if anyone can just be a part of it, <laughs> you know, right. it just, uh, I mean, like there's some, just some real, like, like some real simple social cues that are missing from, from a lot of um, that, that world of, of, of people who think that they can just manipulate, you know, widespread, you know, cultural and social behaviors to their whims right. with with money or bullying or brute force. It's, it's well, bizarre. You can't, you can't buy a personality. And that's, you know, there's, there's a lot of that going on in there where, you know, if you've been on Twitter for 10 years and you had a hundred followers, you know, that's indicative of something. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's indicative of the fact that you probably didn't have anything all that entertaining to say or interesting and people weren't paying attention to you. And, so those people, you know, were looking down on everyone that was verified, which which had nothing to do with popularity and everything to do with just verifying a fucking identity, you yeah. know, and they never understood pro- proving that. you were you. Yeah. And I, I, I think I underestimated how little they really understood that, you know, yeah. until the switcheroo occurred. And then it was like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty picky about who I'll follow on Twitter. The um, comparative to the number of people following me, the number is very low. And what I saw was people like when, when the, the hammer got dropped and they took away the blue checks from people, it was just like, well, that's fucking, this is really stupid. You really fucked up, but like no one throwing a fit about it. No one Mm -hmm. like, you know, crying about the elites and shit like that. That's, that was always an argument on the other side. And then they got Mm -hmm. what they wanted. They got their little blue checks. They had to pay for them. But now, now what do they get nothing yeah you know like there's there's entire block lists out there you can just block all those motherfuckers instantly it's uh it's um i'm not happy about what's happened to twitter because uh well i use it to book the show and i've met some of my best friends there and you know like people i people i never would have come in contact with otherwise like i'm now i have a line to and i can i can talk to um people i'm a fan of this everything everything that um that's kind of like mattered to me in the past few years has kind of originated on on twitter like our our 
our clothing company, yeah. Coach Goods. Like we we started that, um, and we mostly like kept it going as a thing to do during the pandemic, during lockdown, and the like communication with like the community on Twitter and like being able to like riff on jokes that started there and like mm-hmm. have a t-shirt up the next day and like and and how that guided the whole kind of like fun of, of what that store became and its identity all that was happening on Twitter like the fact that I know you and and that, yeah. that I'm on, that I've you know hung out with you and and been a part of projects that you worked on but on this podcast that's all from Twitter uh, there's a lot of stuff like that that it was a unique community and and I I cheer Elon's failure but I but I mourn the death of what that yeah. Was, you know? I just I just want his failure to to speed itself up a little bit because he's gonna get to the point where either Twitter's going to just go away or he's gonna sell it and whoever he sells it to is going to essentially try to go back to what it was before. Right? Yeah. Now if it happens sooner than later, then I think people with all these upstart like uh, competitors, Twitter competitors, none of them feel right, none of them they're all janky. None of them, you know, have the right, you know, amount of people on it yet. Like, like I like blue sky. I like um, threads fine, but they're, you know, I'm not compelled to go there because that's just not where the conversation is. Right. So it's like, um, it's either this thing happens fast and, and uh, Twitter is salvage and everybody goes, okay, cool. Or Twitter's just going to go away and die and we'll just have a lesser version to look at somewhere. You know, it's like, uh, it, one of those two things will happen. So I'm, I'm cheering if, if he's going to fail or succeed, it, it, whatever it is, it needs to happen fast. Well, yep. I don't think it's going to happen fast. <laughs> I think it's going to be an excruciating slow motion death. But, you know, it's, I don't know, it's unfortunate, but it's also like in keeping with everything else that's gone on in the last like six years. You know, everything, everything, everything that I have enjoyed has come to a screeching halt somehow. <laughs> you know, right. movies have gotten worse. Social media has gotten worse. Fucking, you know, I had a job I used to like. Don't have that job anymore. Um, going out is a problem. Traveling is a fucking disaster. The political world is a fucking nightmare. It really feels like everything is just getting shittier. There's it, there's. It, it is, Thanks, man. It, it is. <laughs> it, it it just is. I mean, I think I think the the Twitter thing has really highlighted how much the internet has gotten worse, and I think one of the reasons that that this that this AI stuff um, gets kind of like you know pe- people are anxious to to just know this this AI bad, right? That's bad, right? Okay, mm-hmm. bad because you know, there's enough to worry about. There's just well, ah, they don't want to. They want they don't want to hear me say actually it's very complicated and you know because people just want to know if it's good or bad and for the most part in so much as everything's getting shittier this type of technology being applied to everything you can imagine is not going to get us to the Jetsons it you know the the thing yeah. is robots are supposed to be doing our jobs that was the that was supposed to be the point <laughs> right. you know. There's supposed to be like kind of like not an end point, but a plateau of all this shit that we've been doing all this time. And it turns out that for the people running the show, there is no end because it's just growth, 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 growth. It's more, 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 more. And that means cutting costs and cutting people. And I think we're feeling that in every single aspect of, of society lately. And the, and the problem at the root of it is this is this 
like vulture need to to just pick apart everything and and only hold on to value for growth so it, that makes the internet just like you know the death of blogs and all that stuff is all part of the same thing and the fact that you can't even find anything on google anymore you can't find yeah. anything on amazon um it, facebook is a hellhole you know i mean it's everything is just kind of corroding into the same problem and and for some you know the thing that we should be asking is like we, at what point do the robots do our jobs for us and we're fine? At what point does the robots doing our job for us not mean that we have to go live under a freeway? You know, <laughs> because mm-hmm. it's it's going to hit it's going to hit a breaking point, and it's not. I mean, it's artists and creatives are the latest ones to kind of freak out about this, but it's it's been hitting everyone, you know, bit by bit. And I think mm-hmm. creative people kind of thought they were immune from that you know oh well robots can do low-skilled non-creative jobs but they can't do ours and now that they can do ours it's like now everyone's kind of like oh shit they're they're really trying whether they're successful or not the fact that they're actively trying to get rid of humans from every aspect of the of the things that we once enjoyed that's troubling and that doesn't make anyone feel good it doesn't how how do you as a writer go back from this strike to work for these studios where you've heard now how they really feel about yeah. you, you know, I yeah. mean, it, it sucks, man. And, and I, I wish, I wish that, you know, there were more, one of the things I liked about uh, with Twitter is like it enabled people to connect, like you said, in ways that were kind of organic and outside of these systems mm-hmm. that we've all been a part of. And make things, uh, you know, independently, and then start new things and, and do projects uh, that we wanted to do that didn't fit into some kind of larger structure. You yeah, know. it leveled um, the playing field socially. Example. It leveled the playing field, like financially. You know, it did it did do that stuff for a lot of people. Not anymore, but it did. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I and I think you know to the point of like what happens, what happens if they're successful to to some extent of. Re- of making a lot of entertainment in an automated fashion and a lot of people just swallow it. Um, I think what, I think what, what keeps art alive and what pushes back against that is stuff like this, like this podcast, that's very much about talking about the humanity and the people involved in things, talking about the people who are a part of, of creativity and the people who react to it and the people, um, you know, forging community around that, that's, there's, there's not going to be a podcast for algorithm H54XY9. You know what I mean? <laughs> there is a, a well, podcast about Stephen King. Um, so I, I think the, the one good thing, that, you know, on the internet has been that people have really kind of, people have really started to form communities around how much they enjoy the humanity of, of creation. And, mm-hmm. And I, I think stuff like that pushes back on on this automated future that that these guys are dreaming of for some reason. Mm. Vespi, you will probably remember this better than I will, but the the movie version of Cell does not. It's not very clear about the source of the signal or the pulse that. Right. You know, they like here and there, they kind of, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. But was you read the book more recently than I did. Um, 
is there a more firm answer? Is it a terrorist attack? Like what, where, where did it originate? Do we know? Uh, I don't remember. Um, it, I don't think I've, did I reread? I did. I, I think I listened to the audio book like a couple of years ago. Um, and that was the second time I read it. I read it the first time when it came out. So my memory is still very hazy, but I don't, I, I think the whole point is that you never really know where, what the pulse is. Um, uh, but I might be fucking wrong on that. I might get people calling out like, and go, you didn't do your research by rereading a 500 page book. Yeah, whatever. Uh, people know the score on the show by now. Yeah. But I hope so. I, the reason, uh, the reason I yeah. ask is because in, in watching it again, I was, I was thinking like, I, it, it, how do I put this? Is the, is the ending, do you find the ending effective? Or do you think it would be more effective if, God, how do I fucking, I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Okay, so there's like, there are the phoners, as they're called. Like the people that are infected with this virus, right? And then there's like, somehow the leader of them is the raggedy man. The guy in the Harvard sweatshirt or the fucking red hood. The king of the internet. Yeah, yeah. Um, There's not a lot of explanation given to that, but don't you think it would be a more effective resolution to this entire story if it was just like, yeah, this wasn't anything anyone did. It was just, you know, the, the like a pure technological accident where, um, you know, a, a certain sound was set out by phones and entirely unintentionally, like a global network fucking glitched. And this went out and it just so happens that that would like rewire people's brains to become violent fucking monsters. I feel like I would find that more satisfying than any of the other sort of explanations that they nod to in the in the book or the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I think in trying to insert some kind of villain in it was really clumsy to me and strange. Also, that it was somehow connected to his comic book, like that guy was from it. Or yeah, something. what the fuck and, was that shit? And that that there was never explained, nor did it seem to really tie into the rest of the film in any way or the story. And then he's just kind of there, and he looks like he looks like a fucking TikTok DJ who got brought back to life or something. <laughs> All right. And like, like I don't know why he's wearing headphones, like like DJ headphones, right. and like like King of the Internet by Beats or something. But um. Yeah, and he was just there, and then he wasn't there, and then he was there again. Uh, I, I think you're right. It would have been, it would have been, in, even to the point where they didn't really want to explain where it was coming from, that it would even be better, you know, if there just wasn't that guy. It was just, it happened. Um, but I, I did like, there was one thing I liked about the ending, though, that I liked, I liked how it connected to his kind of midlife crisis, like, talking about how he how hard it was for him to like fall into this kind of domestic life and and he kind of freaked out about it and pushed against it and and then in the end it's him ending up in the very system that he was trying to fight against and being a part of it and and lying to himself to to just keep going in circles there was right. there was some interesting like metaphorical connections there about about life and being a part of systems and stuff like that 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 I thought was interesting. Yeah, I, I do. I I did like that little swerve at the end, but also it, it's handled so clumsily that Mm -hmm. 
you know, like when it cuts back to yeah, any of those shots, like of the of the the zombies or phoners or whatever we want to fucking call them, like marching around the tower. It's it's nearly impossible to see what the fuck is going on on screen. It's it's so muddled and dark. And then yeah. so you get the uh, like the flash sideways to what's going on in in Cusack's head. He's with this kid walking down the train tracks or something. You come back and he's in the mix walking in in that like loop around the, the tower. But again, you can barely see anything in these shots, except for, you know, when it comes back for the reveal of Cusack being in the crowd. You can pick out Cusack because it's fucking John Cusack and they zero in on his face. But it's also uh, very difficult to see what's going on in that scene. And it's also uh, just not executed well. It's like right. like they mm-hmm. wanted to go for a like a real dark kind of like the mist reveal almost at the end of this thing. And, and whatever the fuck happened in that editing room or while they were making the movie did not allow for it to to land. Nope. Uh, no. Yeah, it doesn't really work. I, I have a bit of trivia. Did any of you look up uh, how successful this film was by any chance? No. Ah. Okay. So if you had to guess uh, box office worldwide, what do you think this one made? <sighs> box office? Did it even go to theaters? It did. Yes. In a limited run? Yes. Less than a million dollars. Worldwide now. Less than a million dollars or a million dollars. One point one million dollars. Including, oh including one hundred and eighty nine thousand <laughs> international from a twenty eighteen re-release. Wow. <laughs> they re-released it? Some, some internet I think it went to China. That's what it looks like. They did a quote unquote re-release by actually letting it play in China for for one hundred and eighty nine thousand it probably played in like two theaters. I don't know, but uh uh, but yeah, so not here's very a, successful. That raises a question that I have. Like, yeah, and I think about this a lot. Like, if you're watching a foreign movie and you you don't speak the language, right? Yeah. Um a lot is getting lost in translation. All you really have to go on is inflection. You know the the passion of the performance on screen plus mm-hmm. the words that you're seeing via subtitles, right? Yes. My question is. If you were, do you think it's possible you've seen a foreign film that, you know, like a subtitled movie that is actually a bad movie, but you didn't realize it? Yes. Yeah, I I, I know exactly one. I went through this phase. There was this theater that used to exist called the Tinseltown South. It was down here in my neck of the woods in South Austin. Uh, and it would always play uh, Bollywood movies. And uh-huh. Uh, so they had one screen that every month there would be a new Bollywood movie in there. And, and uh, there was a movie I saw called Chandy Chwok to China, which like I thought was the funniest fucking thing. Like I thought the songs were catchy. I went with a group of friends and I bring this up to any uh, Indian friends or Bollywood fan friends. And they just go like, that's the equivalent of saying you liked a David Spade movie. <laughs> you know like that movie that, that that actor is just like he's a joke in like uh, in, in whatever and it's but you know it's still this three hour long bonkers fucking you know fucking Bollywood movie and so uh, I do think you're right though and I, I always wonder about this like when it comes to like Asian cinema because all these things that like I see is like Infernal Affairs these masterpieces like I'm when I'm reading subtitles I'm getting the perfect like 
delivery of, you know, getting that information, you know, uh, into my brain, right. Where, uh, I have no idea if they're acting well or not. I think that they, you know, all I can go by is like the, you know, the, their body language and, and, you know, how their eyes are delivering, you know, emotion and whatnot. Right. Um, but I, I, I've often had that same like wonder with you, like how many, of these, you know, American movies will go over uh, overseas, maybe played in China or whatever, and and uh, and they're hugely successful. The Transformers or whatever, and they just go, oh well, here's the spectacle, and that's their chanty chalk to China, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I've always wondered. Well, maybe that's maybe that's how it got to re-release in 2018 overseas. Like, <laughs> you know, they're not absorbing how just lifeless this thing is. Mm. And and well, I think they re- did. I think really that's why it made one hundred eighty nine thousand dollars. Yeah, we should we should also point out like because someone's going to bring this up, but yeah, Samuel L. Jackson and John Cusack are also co star in one of the better Stephen King adaptations, yeah. which is fourteen oh eight, and it's so fucking weird that it it's almost like like you can imagine a conversation happening between the two of them where it's like. Hey, I just got offered this script for another King thing. Oh, me too. Like, you want to do it? Yeah, fucking, we hit gold last time, and then mm-hmm. this happens. You know, but <laughs> it's um. Have you seen fourteen oh eight, Rob? Oh yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's good shit. Yeah, yeah, it's good, good and also hugely successful. It didn't. It made more than one point one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I it, yeah. you ahead. know um to to the point of like you know can you tell. Uh, if a movie's bad when when it's in a different language, there's a thing. There's a thing that I, I I really have noticed a lot is that I can just I can there's a certain type of bad movie or a movie that's bad in a certain way that I can feel it in the first like minute, like in the, in the first thirty seconds, and I'm just like, oh, it's not going to be good. Like just something about the way certain type, certain types of movies are bad in the way that they're produced i don't know but like the this is one of the ones where it just as soon as it started and the opening credits look like look like they were like someone just used the default template on the like text layout thing and just like left it that way so like black squares which is like verdana text on them and it's just like yeah. people going about the airport and and like all of it just feels off. It feels like I'm about to watch some like dry BBC documentary about airport security or something. And I just like, I just, I could feel it already. Like, Oh, there's a bad movie coming. <laughs> and I don't know that, that, that opening that the opening credits were just looked so graphically unfinished and right. undesigned to me. Like, um, and, and that's where it's like, okay, well either they, either they just, don't care or they're trying to do something here that they're failing at. Um, (laughs) And that just like sets off, sets the tone for me of the the whole movie. But I, there, there were, there were some things about it that, uh, that I thought were all right though. I think Mm -hmm. my wife nailed it. She was like, you know, if you, if this were back in the day and you got this as a $5 rental, a blockbuster, five and a five day rental at blockbuster, because the cover looked cool and you didn't have anything else to watch. And it was a dollar. And you put it on, you'd be like, oh, ah, that was pretty entertaining. You know, back in, back in that time when it was your choice for the night. And all right. And so you, you had to stick with it. Right. You know, I, I I forget about the different, like, the different kind of like levels of, of what we will accept, or, you know, that we had back at the time when you couldn't just stop it at any moment to go to six million other choices, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, it was either that or what just happened to be on uh, uh, cable, if you were lucky and bougie enough to have cable, or uh, what was just on TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, well, I won't change the channel for a while. <laughs> and then you kind of get into it a little bit, and then it's over. And you're like, eh, well, that was all right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember those blind rentals at Blockbuster very well of like, well, oh yeah. Like I have enough money to get uh to, you know, one new release and two from the from the old section and you know, the old movie section and and we're just going to go by cover and and uh yeah, I remember those well watching watching some some great, you know, would end up being some of my favorite movies. I remember seeing uh Peter Jackson's uh, Brain Dead slash Dead Alive that way of like picking it up because of the cover and going, Oh, this is one of the best movies I've ever seen. Um, you know, and then a billion other that would be like, sell <laughs> that would be the the thing where it's like, Oh yeah. John Cusack. I like Stephen King. I like this. This is going to be great. And then you watch it go, nah, not great, uh, <laughs> but let's move on to the next one. <laughs> well, um, do we have anything else we want to say about the major motion picture cell? Hmm. Oh, you I, know what? One thing I do want to say, like, yeah. and this is I, I don't expect any reaction here, but it's just like a weird thing. Um, realizing this came out in 2016, like fucking blew my mind. I thought this came out in like the mid aughts or something. Yeah. It feels like it is definitely looks like that kind of movie. Like it's not that old. It's less than a decade old. Like I fucking I really thought this was. I thought there was a like I I was watching it and I looked it up on Wikipedia and was like, that's got, that's got to be a mistake. That doesn't that doesn't track. But now, sure enough. Yeah, it's it's really got some 2006 energy or something. Like yes. That, you know? Yes. Precisely. 2006. <laughs> yeah, precisely. <laughs> yeah. There's some... down to the, those credits you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, Rob, uh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, where they can find glitch goods, all that stuff, and uh, you know, this is your this is your uh, self promo corner time. <laughs> uh, yeah, glitch goods is at uh, glitchgoods.com, and uh, I think if you're a horror fan, you will find a lot uh, to love in there. Oh, we have a big Halloween section, um, and I am on all of the six million social networks that we now have to be mm-hmm. on. <laughs> um, I'm Rob underscore Sheridan on. Twitter and Instagram. Instagram is where you'll find uh, all of my latest AI horror stories and, and galleries. There's there's one up today. Um, so that's uh, that's the best place to find that. Right on. Well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us for this conversation. And uh, I hope you and I get to see each other in real life again uh, somewhat soon. Me too. Outside of uh, outside of the zombie cell network. Well, hey, listen, <laughs> if you can uh, get a babysitter next summer, we're doing operation dollywood it sounds like yeah so, yeah for oh for sure man i'd love that yes and it's uh, time it's overdue yeah and uh, we we should uh, we should continue the conversation uh, about ai as things get more apocalyptic because it's it's truly like it's it's truly going to be a strange journey um in every in every way you know uh, moving forward and things are happening very fast and and this this stuff for 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 good on a on a kind of personal creative level and the things that that we could do with it in our homes i think there's a lot of great possibilities there uh for the industry and for all of our our jobs and the things we love there are a lot of people who want to use it to to destroy all that um and and it's going to be weird. It's weird times. It's weird times to be involved in any of this as as a creator or a fan. 
Yeah. Right on. Well, thank you for being here, sir. It was a good time, and uh, we will talk to you again soon. Many thanks to Rob Sheridan. Uh, I yes. gotta say that, you know, having just been listening to it as I've been editing, uh, this is a really fascinating guy, especially with his, uh, insight into AI and, and his understanding of the complexity of the AI art thing. I, uh-huh. I, I as somebody who's kind of dumb when it comes to that stuff, I was, uh, re- enthralled talking to him and like even doubly so like listening back going, Oh, this guy actually knows his shit. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, I knew that. This would be a fun topic for us to kick around on the show, but, you know, I think you and I are both like kind of just in general, just like kind of anti that whole thing. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and so I thought it would be more interesting if 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 we were going to have that conversation and we were going to have it in relation to sell, Rob would be way more interesting to talk to because he's fully informed on all that shit and has kind of a unique perspective on it. I don't know that I'm as, uh, you know, upbeat about the entire thing as as rob seems to be um but it'll be uh, fine it'll end up just being a tool it's like or it will be everything and everything's gonna suck one or the other (laughs) yeah um but he's uh you know he's a sharp cat and and he he came to play on this one so i'm i'm very glad we got to got to dig into that topic a little bit and do it through the prism of one of the worst stephen king movies ever made (laughs) <laughs> always fun to uh to to beat up on on john cusack's little kanga hat or whatever the fuck he's wearing in this thing yeah it's not um good. but uh next week i want to give everybody a heads up that we got a really an, another really kind of crazy title that has a lot of weird deep things to it but the movie adaptation is way better than than sell so uh next week we are diving into gerald's game uh, this one's mostly on the Flanagan movie side, not, mm-hmm. not too much on the, the book side, although that does come up. But both areas are covered and our guests are, let's see, we can say that they are both hosts of a very funny uh, podcast. So they're fellow mm-hmm. podcasters. Horror um, related. Horror related. It, I mean, horror specifically related. Yes. Uh, and I don't know. I think that should be enough of the the clues. They're they're very funny. They bring uh, their their humor to this conversation, uh, which you know, it, Gerald's game is very much a title that's kind of mm-hmm. dwells on trauma. But it, it even though it's we acknowledge that in the conversation, it's not a super deep, dark, depressing uh, chat. You know, these ladies are very funny. So uh, indeed. So, yeah, I was very excited to once again talk about Mike Flanagan's Gerald's Game, and uh, they came and knocked it out of the park. So I'm excited for you all to hear it next week. On the yeah, meeting. that's a fun one. And uh, this week on the Patreon, as always on Friday, you're going to get a brand new bonus episode from us like we do every single Friday. If you are a listener of the show and you're not subscribed to the Patreon, Vespi and I are taking it extremely personally. And I just want you to know that. And mm. um, we lay awake at night wondering what it is what it is that we could be doing to uh, to get you to come over there and get subscribed. Um, because once you do, you're going to open up uh, a magical portal to a land that has dozens upon dozens of interviews, you know, kind of regular episodes, curveball episodes, commentaries, all kinds of shit. If you sign up for the, uh, the top tier in our Patreon, you'll also get Discord access. And we have a, uh, a thriving little discourse. Uh, discord community going on over there um this friday we'll have a brand new episode for you um we're not exactly sure which one we're going to air this week but it'll be along sometime on 
Friday. Uh, I can say that. Yeah, that's all I got on that. You want to add anything? Oh, it's yeah. patreon.com backslash the Kingcast. I should probably well, tell go. people where to find the fucking thing. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, I think most people have Google if their phones haven't turned them into walking cell phone zombies wearing Harvard sweatshirts or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they know how to Google Kingcast Patreon. But, you know, if you need your handheld, it is patreon.com slash the Kingcast. Join us. You won't regret it. Um, great. So we'll see our patrons on Friday for that bonus episode. And then in our main feed, we will be back next Wednesday to chat about Gerald's game. See you then, folks. Bye. The Kingcast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly.